If the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, you would have done that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So at uh, Cassidy School up the road, where I serve as chaplain and as a teacher of religion, we have a four-year course for junior high kids, and they do basically a, an arc of the entire Bible. We don't read all of it, but we, we cover it. We fly over most of it. And I often have students who attend church, their families attend church, say to me, um, how come we don't talk about Jesus? Uh, the reason they're asking that is because we spent three years on the scriptures that were Jesus's scriptures, the stories he read. And then finally in the eighth grade, we focus in on Jesus and they have a much more sort of textured and substantive way of understanding much of what Jesus did. One of the things that we do in that eighth grade class is we look at the reasons Jesus seemed to give his life willingly. That he wasn't just being put to death because he had provoked the powers. That there's actually something very intentional and on purpose that he's doing by allowing this thing to happen. And the way that we approach this is by talking about what is your sense of obligation when you do harm to somebody else. It's really sort of unpacking this idea of atonement. right? When you have to pay for something that you owe. And I bring up, because a lot of these 8th graders are sort of like, they're getting ready to get their, their driver's permit. And so I talk about, in our culture, in our society, everybody's required to have insurance. And it's the kind of in insurance, at least minimum, that when you have caused the damage, that you will be able to have this company behind you that can atone for what you've done wrong. Right? This compensatory... And so they all sort of agree with that. And, you know, if I say if, if, you, if you break something that somebody owns, don't you have, don't you instinctually feel an obligation that you got to pay for that thing that you broke? And they're like, yeah, we get it. I said, all right, let's take it to a harder place. What if somebody hurts your feelings? What if somebody hurts your feelings? What can you do or what would you want that person to do? Either way, regardless of the side of the equation you're on to demonstrate that they are truly sorry. Is an apology enough? No, is generally the consensus. Well, so then what do you do? Well, so they'll think about it and they'll come up with something like, and I wonder what you're coming with in your mind. Well, maybe you promise that you're never gonna do that thing again. I said, oh, that's, that's tremendous. We have, we have a word for that in the Episcopal Church. That's called amendment of life. I'm going to make a promise that I'll never do this thing again. And of course, then they sort of joke, you know, cash money would be a, you know, an indication that I'm not going to do this thing. Gifts. They could give some sort of meaningful gift. But they're mostly joking about that. This is where it gets harder. And part of what I'm trying to get them to understand is that there are two aspects of life, but particularly in religious life. There are those outward gestures that we make. And then there is the reality of the interior life. How do you know that the thing that you're doing, you're doing from the right motivation and the 
right place. In Judaism and in Islam, there is very little concern about your motive. You just do the right thing. Do the thing that you're supposed to do. And let the motives, you know, those are secondary. But Jesus, as he's presenting, you know, his version of Judaism, he's sort of like ups the ante. He says there really is something important in the motivation and the reason that you do something. So I was, you know, sort of kicking this idea around about if somebody hurts your feelings, finally Adelaide, who attends Crossings Church, said, you just can never know. You're just not going to know if somebody is actually genuine in their action or their apology. Well, that whole conversation is supposed to lead to this larger sort of cosmic, universal question about what is it that God requires of us when we do damage to ourselves or to the universe? What is the indication that that thing has been sincerely addressed? And that is, you know, the, then next is the conversation about Jesus making this grand, universal gesture of payment and atonement. But it comes up today in this encounter that Jesus has with ten lepers. Leprosy was insidious. It was communicable. People were horrified and terrified of it. You could catch it. In fact, there was a practice of sewing bells to the hems of the garment if you had leprosy. So people could hear you come and they could go the other direction. And so Jesus heals these ten and there's only one that comes back. And Jesus asks this question, where are the other nine? Are they thankful? But there was something about this act of stopping what that person was doing and turning around and going back and doing something, saying something to Jesus. Over these decades of working in the church, I've had uh, the real privilege of, from time to time of taking groups, usually teenagers, of taking groups on mission trips. And we'll go into a lot, usually it's a setting where there's maybe a lower socioeconomic setting where there's a high level of risk and there's high levels of need and we'll do some work, some volunteer work. And then as is often the custom, we'll come back home and we'll, at the next service, the kids will report in about their experience. And, you know, you'll ask a few of those kids that they'll prepare something and they'll give reflection. And what I found is a very predictable pattern is that these teenagers will get up and say to their parents and their other adults and people in the room that this experience changed me. And now I appreciate everything that I have more than I did before. And as I've heard that said, I always feel a little bit of a failure on my part. And not just from me, but from the experience that they had. Because I keep wanting there to be a next sentence. A next thing that's said. Something to the effect of, I now understand what I have, and so that's pushing me and leading me to now do this next thing. This next thing that's going to demonstrate a true sense of gratitude. I want to find a way that I can be helpful to people who need my help in a more consistent way. 
Is the feeling enough? Is the feeling enough? As I think about this season that we're in in the church, and part of what we're, the conversation we're having is the kind of you know, giving that people give to the, this community and the things that we, I mean all of us need in order to maintain the beauty and the service of this community. I wonder if this story of Jesus asking the person, where are the other nine, could apply to our thinking and our feeling about that. That we, we know what we have here at St. Paul's and in our life. And we're, gra- we're grateful. We, have, we appreciate that. But I just wonder, is there something else? Is there a what's next that Jesus is hoping that will then make the connection? I say this to us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.